I think about my kids when they're 30 and my daughter and my son getting together because, you know, they each have their own families likely and they come together just to kind of talk, you know, and think about, you know, their parents and, and what they had achieved. And I always think about what are they going to say? They're definitely not going to be able to say, oh, I wish my parents were never there because we've built our life in a way that allows us to be there all the time. But maybe they won't like that. I don't know. But, uh, you know, oh, yeah, it's cool that dad like wrote these books and, and people are still reading them. That influences my decision a lot for what I do is what that conversation is going to be like between my son and my daughter down the road. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Mr. Fantasy Football, a.k.a. Rob, I can't lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. But I, I lost my voice, but I am still here with you today. And we are chatting with one of my favorite internet friends, Pat Flynn. He is the creator of the super popular Smart Passive Income blog and podcast. And he's done so many other businesses he's going to talk about today. Pat was laid off from his architecture job in 2008. And that's when he started selling PDFs online to make money. Turns out that became a big success. So he started a blog about it called Smart Passive Income. You guessed it. He's been doing this for over 15 years, longer than his kids have been alive. He's built a ton of other successful businesses, advised a lot of them, and have helped and inspired millions of people. He's just a damn nice guy. I love Pat Flynn. Check out his site, smartpassiveincome.com, his podcast, as well as he's got some books, patflynn.com slash books. If you ever wondered, how do you stay relevant in such a noisy world? You're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Uno, why creating content you're proud of is more important than cloud chasing. Two, how to succeed by starting, iterating, and trying again. And three, behind the scenes details with revenue for his businesses right now. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we get into the show, go to absumo.com slash Noah, join our newsletter. Insanely amazing deals if you're a solopreneur, freelancer, agency, coach, startup that needs to get great software without subscriptions. absumo.com slash Noah. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Ryder Hollis. They left a review saying, this podcast is great, great. I love how Noah and his guests share high quality information in a simple yet affordable, it's not, it's free, that is easy to apply. Yeah, thank you for your feedback, homie. And I love every one of you gorgeous. We have the best looking audience. I don't know if you know that, but you are one of the best looking ones. Leave a review wherever you check out the show. I check every single one of them. How's Pat Flynn? Pat Flynn's good, man. I'm feeling great. I turned 40 in two weeks. Mazel tov. Thank you. I'm excited for the next decade. You know, I got a lot of new things going on. I, I'm, I'm putting aside some things that I've been working on for a while to make room for new things and just kind of excited for the next decade. I have fallen in love with fishing again, which I hadn't done since I was a teenager. And that's my meditation. That's my escape now. But of course, like anything, I want to be the best I can be at it. So I'm going to be competing in kayak bass fishing tournaments in San Diego next year, trying to become rookie of the year. That's my goal. And I can't just like do anything for leisure. I have to do it to better myself at it and, and be the best I can be. I feel like Pat Flynn chills, dude. I don't know if I fully buy that. You should talk to my wife. <laughs> I don't just chill ever. I mean, even this like Pokemon channel that just started like, I was like, how can I make this the best Pokemon channel? I don't know anything about Pokemon. This is in 2020. And here we are, 375,000 subscribers. Hasn't even been two years yet. And I'm putting on an event next year in Anaheim to bring these people together. And actually, I remember I interviewed you once. You had put on an event a while back and you had said, I just want to make an event that I would go to. Like that was an event that you created and it was fun. That's exactly what I'm doing here. And I'm just bringing all the top creators together and vendors and people in this space to just kind of have fun and, and create fun, weird activities that aren't available at these other conferences that they, that they go to. I was really trying to imagine who goes to a Pokemon conference. I'll tell you exactly who goes. It is 
of course, families with kids because it's uh, Pokemon is multi generational. Came out in the in the late nineties, and people my age who could only afford one pack per week based on our allowance now have money to spend. And during the pandemic, we're spending a boatload of money on this. And this was a little bit heightened by Logan Paul and his work in the Pokemon space for a while. He definitely hyped it up and kind of like made the market explode and inflate a little bit. So we have my target audience or my main audience on my YouTube channels, 30 to 40 year old males who were those kids growing up who, who grew up watching and playing Pokemon. But then it's a lot of their families because they're having kids now and they want to do, they, they can do it together. And it's a lot of people who are in it because of the investments that are happening. This was a big part of it is people buying cards and flipping them and selling them, getting them graded, selling them for more, that kind of thing. And then you got the hardcore collectors who've been in it since day one, people coming to trade, vendors trying to sell, people who just enjoy it for the story and the hobby and the lore, people who watch the cartoon who want to get an autograph from the person who voiced Ash Ketchum, like all this kind of stuff. It's pretty wild. Did you know that Pokemon was the number is the number one largest media franchise in the world? I did not know that. I don't know. I'm trying to think what else is up there that would be like top. I mean, like LucasArts. Oh, like Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars, Disney. I mean, it's massive. You said you're about to turn 40 in, in the business world more than yeah. in the personal as well. Like what have you, how have you changed and what have you learned in the past decade? I have realized that money is not everything. I've realized that, you know, there's a lot of BS that happens in every space and you don't have to take it. Life's too short, you know? I'm turning 40. I want to enjoy every day of my life as much as possible. So even if there's crap happening or fires over here in my business or other things that I have to take care of, it's like, hey, that's okay. It's gonna be okay. And I still got my family. I still have what I know that I've come to be good at that I could use. If I if everything crashed, I'd be okay. And I feel this peace as a result of that. Not that I'm like in some sort of... uh like some euphoric state all the time. Like, no, I, I still go through struggles and I still am sometimes in, in painful moments of the business. But, you know, I find it fun and challenging and I could go to bed at night knowing that I did what I could do best that day. And, you know, again, as the kids are getting older, I'm trying to spend more time with them and, and realizing really what's important, especially because the pandemic, I used to speak a lot. I mean, you know this, I used to travel and I used to speak at all these events and I've spoken at some with you, one where you gave out like money to people. Remember that at FinCon? People still talk about that, by the way. You either loved or hated that presentation. Yeah, I got a lot of hate for it. I was like, I, didn't I just give up? I loved it. And it's like, well, do I need to go and speak? Like, what is that really going to do for me in the end? I can still make connections and build relationships online or in a way that doesn't take me away from my family for a whole week. How am I going to leave a legacy? That's why right now a lot of what, what's on my mind is, you know, the big thing right now is like TikTok and Instagram reels and shorts. And it's like, hey, Pat, like, why aren't you on there? And it's like, well, why do I need to be on there? Everything I create there is going to be gone in two days. Like, it'll still be there, but it's like, how useful is that? And chasing those numbers is, has become less important for me. I'm actually doing a TikTok challenge right now because I wanted to prove to myself that, like, do I need to do this or do I not need to do this? I've caught myself falling into the trap of just doing things for views there. I did a video the other day where I recorded, you know, I pulled a popular sound. It was like the, oh, no, 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 like that song. And I recorded a video of like my microphone windscreen looked nasty. There was like stuff growing on it. And like nobody thinks to clean these things, but I looked at it and I had like a white screen in the background so I could like see through it. And I saw all these like dots. This is going to be a little gross for a while. And so I was like, oh, if I record this, like people will view this and get grossed out, but it's like, it could go viral. 
And I was like, ooh, I'm going to film it. And I like took a really long time carefully planning out this video of me recording how nasty my microphone was because I was like, oh, this is something people will talk about. And I published it. And as soon as I published it, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, what is this for? For views? And then I started imagining getting on interviews like this one. And the first thing people would say is, hey, Pat, did you clean your mic thing today? Like, I don't think I want that. Why did I fall into this trap that I did back in 08 when I was just like chasing views and chasing clout and stuff? So I just deleted it. And it's like, oh, why can't I just create more good things that help people? Because that's really what got me here is let's make the internet a better place. How am I making TikTok a better place by doing that? I mean, sure, I might give people a laugh or something to just to scroll through and, and sort of like talk to somebody about, but I'm finding myself in, in TikTok rabbit holes where I waste like 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, well, like I've laughed a few times. What did that do for me? So I'm probably gonna end up like just removing TikTok from my phone because it's like, okay, I can find joy elsewhere. Yeah, and I think that's a great thing to come back to about like, what are you proud of for yourself? Like there was a little TikTok for a moment where I felt like I was making the world dumber. With Smart Passive Income, I mean, you've been, how long is it now? You've been doing this? Since 08, so 14, almost 15 years now. Older than your, your son. It's your first son or first daughter. Yeah, yeah. What is every money-making or business thing you've tried in 14 years? I was reflecting on, I was kind of curious about that. So even before SPI, my first business was helping people pass an architectural exam. And that actually still exists. That still makes a couple thousand dollars a month at this point. But at its peak, it was making 30, 35,000 a month in 08. What? What's that called? What's the site? It's greenexamacademy.com. It helps people who are in the design architecture space pass a exam that's all about green buildings and design. It was very niche. Nobody had created anything about that before. And I stepped up and created something. And that was my first foray into online business during the recession in 08, which is when I got laid off from architecture. That's my story. And then people started asking me, how did you do that? Can you show me? And so I built Smart Passive Income to just document that and share what I had done and what I had done, what I wish I'd done differently. And I was like, okay, I have this platform now. People are following me because I have this proof here. A lot of other people were talking about business but didn't have any proof. I was actually living proof. So I said, wait, I'm gonna use this platform to build new things and show people. And hey, it might completely flop, but it's still gonna be an interesting case study. So the next thing I did was I built an iPhone app company with my buddy from high school. And this was back when like iFart was the app of the year kind of thing, uh, Joel Com, And uh, we had built a bunch of apps that kind of followed its place, like really silly, stupid apps that really did nothing. But we still generated over a million dollars in revenue. Then we both got bored of it because then, you know, the app store just became a wild place to be at that point. So you know, we got out of that. And then my next money-making venture was building a website to help train security guards. And this was actually a big thing for Smart Passive Income because it was an example of me building in public, which is the term that we all now use for something like that, building something in public. And I had, in 73 days, built a website from scratch in a space I knew nothing about. And I started generating revenue off of AdSense, first $300, $500 a month. And then it got all the way up to four or $5,000 a month by curating content. And I, this was an example of, hey, you don't need to be the expert, you just need to step up and curate the content and make it more easily findable for people. I was able to rank in Google and sell ad spots and other things on it as well. And then eventually I sold that business in 2020. So that was a 10-year business that was running that was literally on autopilot that I just eventually sold. I did the same thing again in the food truck space. Again, a space I didn't know about, just curated that information, created foodtrucker.com, which also sold in 2020 to a different person. Then I started to build software a little bit. I had some failed runs at some WordPress plugins. I was just following the money and that I was really quickly to find out that if I just followed the money and thought about money first before actually providing value that it never worked. And that was big because then 
I created a software to help podcasters called the Smart Podcast Player, which later became Fusebox.fm, which still works and is still around. This is like a podcast software company. We just released hosting recently at podcast.fm and um, are adding more tools to help podcasters and that business is continue to run and, and I'm not a majority shareholder of that anymore. I've, I've, you know, we have other people involved now, much like how you created your beef jerky and all that other stuff. Like you, you create, you build, and then you hand off a little bit. I've done that also with the SwitchPod, which is an invention that me and my videographer created in 2019. We launched in, on Kickstarter to $468,000 in 60 days from a Kickstarter campaign for this product. And that still continues to run sort of on autopilot. Caleb's doing a lot of the day-to-day there. It's not much at all because it's sold on Amazon or on our Shopify store. Moving back a little bit, a little bit of uh, writing books. Affiliate marketing was a big play. You know, I would share on Smart Passive Income. Here's how I did the website that I just showed you all. Here are all the steps. Step five, start a website. Here's my link to the hosting company. Step 12, you got to build an email list. Here's a link to ConvertKit or whatever. And... I was making a lot of money through affiliate marketing. I still am. Mostly nowadays uh, with products like Circle, which are about creating community and, and ConvertKit, which is for email and, and teachable for online courses as well. In 2017, I, that's when I started to sell my first online courses. I wish I'd done it sooner. I just never did because everybody else had courses that I just pushed people toward and I would make money through affiliates. But eventually people told me they wanted to learn from me. So then I created online courses. We currently have 11 online courses the first one was about finding your niche in your industry called Smart From Scratch and then Power Up Podcasting, which is our big one. We've generated over $2 million in sales off of that course since 2017. And then an affiliate marketing course, email marketing course, webinars. So sort of a, all like an entire suite of products to help entrepreneurs. And, you know, we're very proud that a lot of people actually complete our courses. We have some of the highest completion rates. And I think my superpower has become really taking these complicated things and making them easy for anybody to do. And I've written books as well, self-published. The one that I published in 2015, Will It Fly, was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And it was self-published, which is pretty awesome. And then in 2019, I wrote Superfans. And that one still continues to find a lot of momentum with you know zero promotion on my end. It's just getting shared around a lot. I've gotten paid to speak. A lot of things. Uh, I recently got my first traditional published book deal, which uh, I signed the paperwork for, I think, this week. Uh, it's so new. And that's an interesting experiment because I haven't done the traditional publishing thing in the, in, in, ever. And I know it's going to be as slow as molasses, but it, it'll allow me to reach more people. And it's actually a stepping stone into the next era of what I'm doing. It's kind of outside the realm of entrepreneurship. It does incorporate that, but it's like one circle out with relation to self-development and, and personal development. It's about learning. The story being like back when we started online business, you know, like having information was valuable. Like just the access to that information was valuable. You could sell that. It's great. Now, information is freely available everywhere. In fact, there's too much of it. We're all bloated. So how do we actually, as people, filter that learning? Who do we learn from and how do we learn fastest? How do we put the blinders on to get to where we want to go as fast as we can? And I think that I'm fairly qualified to write a book like that because I've learned how to do a lot of things from scratch very quickly and do them well. And it's not because I'm smart. It's because I've put a lot of these things into place to be able to to do these things quickly and, and learn from the best. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. And Removing myself from the brand of Smart Passive Income has been an interesting thing for the last three years. Before that, Smart Passive Income was synonymous with Paflin. But then I acquired a company that essentially I acquired their team, really. It was uh, an agency that I worked with who helped to publish things and helped to project manage a lot of what we were doing. I just acquired that company because I wanted that team. And then the person who owned that company, Matt Gartland, 
he has since become CEO of Smart Passive Income. And I'm just sort of like the talent now. And it's not just Pat Flynn, everything. It's the whole team. It's almost like it's become now not just Tony Stark. It's the entire Avengers now kind of all helping people in, in the world of entrepreneurship, which does give me options now, right? I'm able to do other things now and SPI doesn't suffer because of that. In fact, the community has become really the driver and that's our product now. We, we, we launched a membership program called SPI Pro in, in 2020 during the pandemic when everybody was seeking connection with each other. And that has provided the first bit of MRR in our business because everything was just one-off payments before. Now we have recurring revenue in the business like a software company and our community is the product and the community is what people are coming back for now. And I feel that community in any businesses is the future of being future-proof because when you find people like you, you want to stay there. So that's what we're building for. That's what we're sort of teaching about now as community and, you know, being on the advisory board for Circle and whatnot. It's been a really, uh, you know, amazing experience. And that's actually where a lot of future income is likely to come from is being on the board of, uh, you know, six different companies right now in the creator space to lend my advice and, and, and that sort of thing. So that, that's been really fun to do the advisory work because then I can just say, hey, this isn't looking good. You should, you know, do this instead. Or, hey, I think this is where the future of the business can be. But then I don't have to be in the day-to-day. Somebody else can do that for me, uh, you know. Well, let's pull back for one second. So you kind of highlighted the ones that all worked. Are there any ones that like flopped? It was like made it, sold it, made it, made it. It's like, I'm like, dude, either you got the minus touch, which I'd love to learn. I was also kind of curious, like what's the through line of these businesses? Yeah, I mean, people say that about me and I'm like, I don't have the minus touch where anything I touch turns into gold. I just touch things that can turn into gold. There's a big difference there, right? So a lot of what I do is is figuring out things ahead of time to ensure that what I'm going to invest my time and money into has a very likely chance to succeed. So there's a lot of upfront effort involved. And that is not to say that I, I haven't failed. I absolutely have. I mean, I just kind of got up and tried again and did better the next time. I had once attempted to do a membership website called Breakthrough Blogging in 2013. And it was a massive failure. I couldn't keep up with it. It just overpromised, underdelivered, and I ended up four years later giving everybody a refund because I was too ashamed of it. But then I relaunched now SPI Pro. And SPI Pro, with those lessons learned and with a lot more sort of research and a team now to help me, which I didn't have before, it's just performed much better and in and of itself is its own business with MRR. The software company that I have at Fusebox, that was not the first attempt. The first attempt was a WordPress plugin that was like a souped up contact form that was my first big lesson in getting validation for a product before actually building it because I built it first, then got validation and wasted a lot of time and money doing that. So again, all these things that are successful are not without failures prior to that. And then also, I think I positioned myself in a way to succeed by connecting with the right people. When I go into something new, I try to get as integrated into that community as much as I can before I create anything so I can know who I'm creating for and what worked and what didn't work before. Case in point, this Pokemon thing that I'm doing now, my Pokemon channel at Deep Pocket Monster, I was involved in the Pokemon community for six to eight months on a day-to-day basis as a moderator in certain live streams and reaching out and connecting and being a part of different creator communities inside of the Pokemon space initially before then discovering that, oh, I could add some value here in, in my own special way, which I did at the end of 2020. And now here we are at the end of 2022 and, and almost, you know, we're predicting we'll be close to a half million subscribers by the end of the year and definitely a million by mid-year next year, most likely. And it's interesting because it's just a two and a half person operation versus my 10 person operation at SPI and definitely a lot more profitable already. Fast forwarding to today, what are the top revenues? And do you still share your revenue stuff? 
I don't. I stopped doing that in 2017, mainly because when I was reporting those income reports and sharing all the money that was coming in, it was mid six figure every month for a while. And it was just kind of pushing people away. It had become less relatable, right? It was actually more valuable to see a person making eight to $10,000 a month and a person reading that going, oh, I could do that too. But then when I started to build a team and, you know, scale it a lot bigger and turn this into more of a media company, it just was less relatable and it was actually pushing people away. Oh, Pat, you've outgrown me or, yeah, I, I can never get to that level. I'm going to go find somebody who's maybe just starting out. So I stopped the income reports and we've since been doing reports, but not on an entire sort of profit loss statement from the company, but more of a, here's a campaign that we ran. Here are the numbers behind that. I did a, a very detailed report on Will It Fly, my book, and how much money it made. And, um, you know, from eBooks to physical copies to audiobook, the audiobook, by the way, has made more than the others. And more than that, how the book turned into leads that turned into course sales and all those kinds of things. So overall, that book, which was published, um, you know, a number of years back is currently generated over like 350K in business overall, which is, you know, very good for a book considering, you know, some people don't make any money on a book. To go back to your original question, what's making money today? So smart passive income in that business, the online courses are taking up uh, basically 50% of the revenue, but memberships to our communities are uh, a close second. And we're trying to kind of skew more community because that's more MRR, which becomes much more predictable and it's much easier to hire and invest when you have predictable income coming in. Plus, we feel that in the world of at least the teach online business space, the DIY courses are, are becoming just, there's just too much of it now. So we're trying to create what's called community-powered courses where it combines the community and our DIY courses together. And that, that's kind of the future of what we're looking at there, which is really exciting. Affiliate marketing still plays a major role inside of that business as well. The promotions that we did for these companies even years ago still continue to produce because a lot of the revenue is recurring revenue so long as the people that we pushed into those companies are still around. And so what we try to do a lot of is not just like, tell people, hey, go check out this product, but we continue to create content that supports that product and helps people get better results with it. Many of these companies have a tiered affiliate program where depending on how much they're paying, you know, you get a certain percentage of it and they'll pay more if they have more success with that product. So it makes sense for us to help a person become more successful with that product, which then we're providing more value, but also in return, getting more money as the person moves from one tier to the next, which is great. And then the YouTube channel right now for Deep Pocket Monsters is like came out of nowhere and is providing probably more take home money at, at least because there's less of a team involved than anything. Ad revenue from that channel combined with sponsorship, we're commanding anywhere between 10 to 20K for one video sponsorship at this point. Can you ballpark? I'm just pulling up the channel. Can you ballpark the revenue? Oh, I could tell you. Trailing 28 days, $46,000 in revenue and ads and about 20K on top of that in sponsorship revenue because not there's not sponsorships in every video. This is just the volume. Yeah, because like your views are just insane. It's the volume. Yeah. We published a video, for example, one month ago that has, I think, 5 million views now. One of the latest videos we published nine days ago has a million views. And the CPMs are low. The, the RPMs, yeah. it's like $9 compared to on the Pat Flynn YouTube channel, which is more comparable to your channel, like business, entrepreneurship, education. I don't know what your... CPMs are, but on that channel, it's like 35 to $45, but the volume is way less, which is interesting because I'm like, well, wouldn't it make sense to increase the views on that channel? Yes, but I've been talking about that stuff for 15 years straight. Oh, this is new for me. I feel like a kid again. 
me and my kids can do this content together. I mean, we just filmed the video at the mall. I hired two videographers to come shoot us filming, going around the mall, handing out packs to people who just had random Pokemon apparel on. That's cool. And that video is being edited right now. It's like, that's going to be an experience that my kids and I are going to remember forever. And that's worth more to me than a video about podcasting that happens to make, you know, 10K after a million views, at least at this point in life. How do you feel like you've stayed relevant? I was even thinking, like, we sent this email for AppSumo as a joke that it was me emailing my mom. And um, people were like, Hon, are you emailing your mom? Is this a joke or not? But it was the fact that people were like, oh, yeah, they're kind of still paying attention. Yeah. And, like, we're still, like, kind of quirky and having fun with it at AppSumo.com. And I guess I was just curious how you, do you think about that? Is it more you're following your curiosity? Because I think, you know, I think about people like myself. I think about you. I think about Tim. And it's not to say that, like, hey, you, do, you have to stay in the limelight. I think if that's not serving you, but I think it's impressive, like Ramit. I'm always impressed with longevity. Mm-hmm. I think it's very undervalued. There's a lot of people who have come and gone since we've started, for sure. Yeah. I think that you mentioned it right there. The inherent curiosity that we have to A, understand, but then B, on top of that, to then share what we find with others keeps us relevant. Because as new things happen, as new technologies come out, as new questions arise, we can be the ones to be curious and share what we find. And I love that because at least from my position, it never, at least I don't want it to come across that I know everything. I don't know everything, which is why I try to go and find out. And I don't know if that's like just something that's innate in me or what, but it's just, I have to know what's going on and what's new, whether it's in the online space, whether it's with new hobbies or even like with my kids, like as an example, like this is how me and my kids and my wife too, whatever the kids are into, we want to get into it too. Like for two and a half years, I was playing Fortnite almost every day with my kid and not letting him win as much as possible. But then he got better than me. And then, you know, that's a different story. But we were like doing duos together. We were high-fiving and we get some, you know, victory royales. We were like paying attention to the circuit and like contemplating like going pro kind of thing. It's like, and then that died down for him. And now he's into playing the trumpet. So because I played the trumpet too, we can learn together and stuff. And it's like, whatever they're into, I want to get into as much as possible because eventually they'll probably get into things that I don't care about. But I remember when I was a kid, it was like, I was into things and my parents were just not really be curious about it. And I think that when I'm curious and I share what I find, those lend themselves to the best relationships that I've ever had. And to me, that's what is allowing me to live a fulfilling life is the relationships that are, you know, with the people that are around me. And, and you know, for me as a three on the Enneagram, my value is tied to how much value I can offer others, which isn't always a, a good thing because then my happiness is dependent on like your happiness all the time and it can be a little pushy at times. But it also allows me to know that if I come from a place of service, that especially if I surround myself with good people, that everybody can win and everybody can be happy, at least, or I can try, I can try for that. It is interesting because I think just from a zooming out perspective, it's like you did, you've done this like passive income, affiliate marketing, good guy, Pat, and like all these things. And then you're like, hey, my kids are into this stuff. Let me try this Pokemon out. And I love stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, it's kind of like making like, you know, five, high five figures a month with significantly less people. And I'm sure your intent was to do well with it, as, as you said in the beginning. Yeah. But it's just cool to see how. I do think people can make money doing things they're interested in. I definitely think there's a lot of people discouraging that. Like, no, don't do your passion. I'm like, just do whatever the fuck you want. You live once. Yeah. Like, go follow the areas that you think you could do for a long time and you're interested in. I think there is a way, in most cases, to have fun making money and help others. I think that's what I'm doing here. Like, although it's making a lot of money, I'm also able to take a lot of that money and, and help others. 
I'm running an event next year in Anaheim, California for the, this Pokemon space. And it's an event that's similar to VidCon where you've got like the creators there and then the fans and this is this, the place to bring them together. But we want to step up, my, my team and I, we want to do creator-specific workshops for anybody who wants to do YouTube who's in the Pokemon space to come and learn how YouTube works because we have that special sort of understanding and, and connection to YouTube that, you know, would benefit everybody. Like, I feel like, you know, a lot of people live life like it's a poker table where if one person's winning, that means everybody else is losing. And I see life more like we're all at the table and there's just like chips flying out of nowhere always. And we can share with each other and we can all win together. I mean, that would not be a really good poker game because that it's fun when you're winning and, you know, you can go all in and stuff. So maybe not the best analogy, but I think there's a way for to have everybody be happy. And I can lead by example and hopefully help others believe the same thing. How far out do you think, specifically for your business? One like parallel for that with me is like, I, I'm really into fantasy football. Dude, don't even get me started about the season. It's so many injuries. It's unreal. Talk about the Niners? All of them. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, Cooper Cup. Like I, that just hurt my feelings. But I guess one of the things that was fascinating for me, that was a really good lesson for AppSumo and kind of just life in general was when my team was taken care of as the owner of a, a football team, was taken care of for the week, I was able to really think ahead. I was like, okay, well, what's coming up? What do I think is coming up? And how do I plan for that? Yeah. So it's kind of just made me start thinking about that in a lot more, a lot of aspects. So, you know, business is kind of easier one. So I guess how far are you thinking ahead? And, you know, I think communities, you said that's one. I'd love to hear how far ahead you're thinking and maybe some of the things that other people can learn from you on that. On SPI, we're definitely trying to take the lead and go to where the puck is going as far as businesses and community being a part of that and really taking the lead on what we're calling community-powered courses. That's what's happening there. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. And we're planning for the next, you know, three to five years there. I know things change fast and anything can change at any time, but that that's what we're investing in because we believe so much in that. On the Pokemon thing, I mean, I'm thinking about five years down the road there as well. And what I'm hearing a lot about in the community and what I remember, I was not in the Pokemon when I was a kid. I was actually a little bit older than the Pokemon community when I was a kid. I was into Magic the Gathering. And I actually worked at Toys R Us. My first memory of Pokemon was working at a Toys R Us, setting up the tables for the kids who came in and then I just had to make sure they didn't like steal from each other. If only I knew the cards would be as expensive as they are now, I would have like, you know, saved some of my, my wages for that. But what I'm hearing is like the idea of like the community coming together to play with each other and like that game shop feel in the 90s that you had where you go to the store after school and you meet friends and stuff like that's gone. That's basically gone because of whatever. The pandemic obviously didn't help, but there are still local game stores, but it's few and far between what it used to be. And so a big goal that I have in this space is to create a physical space that could become an after-school program for kids to come to that is Pokemon-centric, that kids can come and play games, but really learn the soft skills and what it's like to collaborate and like win, lose, and you know save and collect and all this kind of stuff that we once had when we were kids is gone. It'd be really amazing to use this ability to grow this business in a way that actually gives back and, and brings those feelings back in a way where it's now like, you know, because I like I have kids now and some kids at the school that they're in are there until like 6 p.m. until their parents pick them up. I'm like, there's so many other things that you could be doing or enjoying in life outside of just staying in a classroom and looking at your iPad until your parents pick you up. So those things are on my mind there. And who knows what will happen? I'm very inspired by the people at like Dude Perfect who are doing the, like this, all this fun stuff and they're bringing communities together. And now they have this like campus that was designed that's going to be built in I think Texas or something. Yeah. That's ginormous. That's going to allow them to just do more things. And they're going on tour and even my family, like we're into those guys. And then with this new book deal, I mean, this is one circle outside of entrepreneurship and it's 
a way for me to just take these things that I've learned over time and, and package them into something that could hopefully live beyond me. Because I am thinking about legacy and what happens after I go and, you know, investments I'm making and all that stuff for my kids and their kids and their kids, but not just that, it's like the world. Like, how can I at least live the biggest imprint that I can that is seen in a good light? You know, I often think about this, and I might have mentioned this on the show a long time ago when I was with you, but I, I often say this, and it's like, I think about my kids when they're 30 and my daughter and my son getting together because, you know, they each have their own families likely and they come together just to kind of talk, you know, and think about, you know, their parents and, and what they had achieved. And I always think about what are they going to say? They're definitely not going to be able to say, oh, I wish my parents were never there because we've built our life in a way that allows us to be there all the time. But maybe they won't like that. I don't know. But, uh, you know, oh, yeah, it's cool that dad like wrote these books and, and people are still reading them. That influences my decision a lot for what I do is what that conversation is going to be like between my son and my daughter down the road. What I was reflecting on, as you were saying, is like, what are the fundamentals in, of how we're making decisions about our life? In the sense of, hey, I'm making decisions based on in 10 years, I want this and my decisions are that or I care about like integrity or I care about it has to be environmental or whatever it is. Yeah. And then it's just like, what is your decision principles? And then how do we make sure we're, we're true to them? Well, how would you answer that question? Is it, is it a value-based thing for you? I came up with an acronym called God, but it basically it's like, you know, grounded, absolute destinations. And then the idea of it is, you know, starting at the end of it, it's like, well, what, what's the destination for these different things I want in life, if at all, right? And then can I get to that direction in a non-absolute way? And then am I behaving grounded in a manner that I, I respect my integrity? And I think there's things like that. I, you know, at AppSumo, there's, we have a, we call it MOM, which is our master operating manual. And it's just basically like, what are the principles of AppSumo? Like, we raised our prices a lot. Like, our price points have doubled, our initial price points. And so, is that okay? Like, when I pass on, if that ever happens, like, what is our principle? And so, I think getting that kind of codified. So, there's one in my personal life with destinations. And I think with AppSumo, we have destinations, but also just principles that some we reevaluate, some we don't. Yeah. I mean, it's important to reevaluate because people change, businesses change, the environment change, macro environment changes. But I think for me, I mean, Serving first has always been a principle of mine. And so whatever I do, it always comes with, well, how might I be able to help others first? Because I always know that that will eventually in some way, shape or form come back. That's how I got into this Pokemon space. Like let's serve this community first and then learn the language, understand what they might need and then, and then deliver. But I also know that in a way, and this is what I've been really focused on lately, especially as I turn 40, I know I'm going to get older. I'm going to like have a camera up my butt at some point. That's like a colonoscopy. Just, I don't just randomly put cameras in my butt. You know, I'm getting older. And so if I am not healthy, if I'm not taking care of myself, eating well, exercising, it's going to be harder for me to serve people. It's going to be harder for me to help people. It's going to be harder for me to stay active uh, with my family and, um, you know, travel with my wife when the kids are out and all those things that uh, we're looking forward to. So I got to take care of myself too. You know, for, for a while, especially when we had kids, it was like, I come last. And that was the approach I wanted to take because I wanted to help others first. But then I eventually got to the point where I got really unhealthy and I was losing a lot of energy and I was just angry all the time that I eventually realized that I got to take care of myself also to better help others too. And there's a balance there, right? Because I could easily say, I'm going to go to the gym and never be home because I'm going to, I, I got to take care of myself. So there is a balance there. And it's, you know, you learn as you go and you kind of, it's not about perfect balance. It's about making sure the scale doesn't go too far to one side or the other. And for me, it's people on the outside of me who've helped me stay as balanced as possible, especially my wife, but friends, colleagues, mastermind groups that I've, I've been in, 
people who tell me the hard truth sometimes when I need to hear it before I get too off kilter. You can't read the label when you're inside the bottle. So you got to get that outside perspective. So for me, having, you know, a value is sharing the success with others and, and bringing others along the ride and also being there to be a shoulder to cry on and have a shoulder to cry on. Yeah. I think it's just a good thing for people in general to reflect on like what matters to them. Even for myself, I was like, maybe I need to think about that a little more. And like, I read this book um, by Annie Duke. I think it's like how to decide. But I thought the fascinating thing about the book was like about these outcomes of things that happen in life. But really, it's like the decision and the process of the decision that's really interesting. And just kind of taking more time to be like, how was my decision process in you know, how I'm treating people and how I'm working and all these things and less about the outcome of it. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and that makes me think of probably one of the biggest changes I've had just in general since I first started was how I think about how other people behave. And in particular, I'm talking about haters and trolls and people who are just upset and angry online, especially who sometimes hide behind a, an avatar or hide behind a username, especially on YouTube. YouTube's pretty vicious sometimes. It does not phase me at all anymore. And for a while, it, it, it was the worst thing to ever happen. When I would get a negative comment or something, I would take it very personally. But then I eventually realized that it has actually not much to do with me, if anything at all. It's usually a reflection of where that person is in life. And I actually take more of an empathetic approach now. Empathy first is what I say to myself as well. And usually, if I have the chance to speak to those people, sometimes I like, it's just, this is my home, get out of here, and I just block them or whatever. But other times I can tell that something is disturbing them in their lives and I can have a conversation with them. Often happens in our Discord for the Pokemon channel, in fact. And you eventually realize that these people are going through tough times and you just happen to be there when they needed a place to vent or get upset to express themselves. And you know, in many cases, those people have become big fans of mine, which is interesting because finally somebody listened to them and cared enough to spend time with them. It doesn't always happen that way, but I've gotten pretty good at understanding that somebody's going through something and that it's never about me if it is targeted toward me, like a negative comment or something. Yeah. Well, let's end with, um, if everyone were to buy a Pokemon card, what's the best investment to get of a Pokemon <laughs> oh, card? This is, I'm not going to answer that question. Can you name one Pokemon card? I don't, I don't know any of them. You don't know any Pokemon. So it, it depends. Like every Pokemon has like a different personality and a type and, you, you know, there's different categories of them. I mean, the most popular one is Charizard, who's like the big dragon, fire-breathing dragon one, right? People like Pikachu. You know Pikachu. Oh, yeah, I remember Pikachu. Because I, I played, uh, what's that Mario one where they fight all the different characters? Yeah, Smash Brothers. Oh, that was a sweet game. Yeah. So Pikachu, I collect a lot of Pikachus. I did a video on my Pokemon channel that was almost like a copy and paste of a video I did on my business channel. And it was about the riches are in the niches, right? Niche down. It's going to be much easier to cut through the competition, learn that language, and build a business. Why well, I, I did a video in the Pokemon space that was one of my first videos that went viral, which was about the riches are in the niches. If you're collecting Pokemon cards, the drive is to often collect all of them. There's way too many right now. I mean, there's 900 and some odd Pokemon now. There's not just the original 151. And there's so many sets and there's so many things you could buy. Find a market or a niche within the Pokemon space, whether it's maybe trophy cards, which are the high-end ones, or maybe it's a particular Pokemon. You want to collect all of the Lugias that are out there. Or maybe it's a particular era, or maybe it's just Japanese, or maybe it's just modern Japanese, or maybe vintage Japanese, whatever it might be. You narrow down your focus, and then you feel much more proud of when you find one for that piece, for, for your collection, versus just, oh, I got another card, like I got to get more. It's like, wow, I am one step closer toward finishing my goal here. 
And that video has just resonated with so many people. It's been really amazing to see. And it's just like the same business advice and life advice that I share on, on SPI. It's like, it applies here too. And it's insane because I've now gotten messages from people who follow my Pokemon channel who are like, hey, you've helped me make better decisions in my life. Or you've helped me stop, you know, my depression. One person reached out to me and said he, I, he said that I was responsible for him not killing himself. And it's like the same principles of content creation apply here. It's like you never know who is on the other end watching or what they're going through. And your content in whatever random niche it might be could absolutely save a person, help a person through whatever muck they're going through in their life. It's just really amazing. And so like these principles that they work everywhere when it comes to people and relationships and behavior, it's just fascinating. That is a wrap. I hope you love the show as much as we did making it for you. Go give Pat some love. He's everywhere on the internet, but go to smartpassiveincome.com or go get his book, patflynn.com slash books. Or he's got a new community. You can check out his community on his website and uh, tell Pat what up and thanks for coming and chatting with us. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go grab a milkshake together. I like a McFlurry, actually. Real talk. Before you go tweet, Instagram, TikTok, whatever the hell new thing's going to come out today, I'll be there. At Noah Kagan, get at me. You know your boy's online. I would love to hear from you. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put my best tip into a single short each, every week. Go to okdork.com. Okdork.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Finally, a couple shout outs to the amazing team that helps make all this content happen. Jason at podcasttech.com, who does these episodes, especially late night like tonight, because I just got home. Thank you. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork Team for all you do. Finally, huge shout out to the one, the only, the greatest actor I know, greatest coder I know. I'm going to shout out Eric Fernandez. This guy, I met him just out of college a few years from El Paso. Shout out El Paso. It's a dope city. The guy is just super nice, super friendly. He's been with AppSumo more or less since day one. I couldn't have done it without him. It's just been a, it's been a pleasure to have cross paths in my life. I feel very lucky to be able to work with him. And I wish him all the best with his dogs and his relationship and everything else. And uh, we had a great time in Costa Rica. Looking forward to more years together, man. Wish you the best. Shout out Eric Fernandez. Have a jaw-dropping day. What's your f- who's your favorite voice? Because my voice is a little raspy now. I'm curious what's the voice you like. Peace.